Welcome to Mental Health News Radio. I'm your host, Kristen Sunanta-Walker. Just what are we going to discuss? The intimacy that is mental health. Let's continue to make it as comfortable as discussing brain health or heart health. This show has been on the air for several years and we have amazing co-hosts. And then we created a network of podcasters on mentalhealthnewsradionetwork.com, a place where every possible facet of mental well-being can be talked about openly. My show, after several hundred interviews, the format is this. Intimate, deep, funny, touching, sometimes uncomfortable, but always vulnerable conversations with interesting people. The goal is to have you, our listening family, many of you who have become my good friends, feel as though you are listening in on private conversations. Thank you for tuning in and becoming part of this amazing journey with me and now with our network of podcasters. Just knowing this podcast might be helping any of you realize you are not alone on this journey called being a human being makes doing this podcast worth every second. Hi everyone, Kristen Snanta-Walker here with my co-host, Catherine Greer-Limpo. Hi, Catherine. Hi, good morning, Kristen. Good morning. We're doing our Women Who Lead series. We had a little bit of a hiatus and uh, we're back and we're talking about well, you know what? I'm going <laughs> to put this on you because you're the one who came to me with this idea. Tell the listeners what we're talking about today. Sure. Um, and and I think that if we just kind of open our eyes and look around, um, this is inherent in our environment right now. Um, and it's really the movement amongst um, women leaders to develop communities or um, kind of collections of women who are realizing that um, you know if we if we put ourselves together and put our efforts um, and our initiatives um, as part of a collection as opposed to individuals, we really have the ability uh, to change things around us. Not only um, in the way that we can present ourselves to our environment, but also in just what we're able to impact, um, not only for ourselves but for those around us. So, yeah, I wanted to talk about the collectivism that's um, on the rise amongst women right now and dig into that a little bit in the context of leadership. Yeah, and there's, I I had not heard of this book, um, but sometimes I'm under a rock, Um, (laughs) written by Amy Baumbach. Will you tell the listeners a little bit about who she is and the name of the book? Yeah, so um, Abby Wambach is Abby, okay, oh my God. Yeah, a retired U.S. um, soccer player. So um, some may recognize her, um, if you follow soccer, as uh, the woman who has scored the the most international goals uh, in the game of uh, women's soccer. So she's um, quite an accomplished uh, athlete, and since her re- retirement in 2015, um, she's done a lot of work around wage parity. And it's very interesting to me how her wife, Glennon Doyle, who she married in 2017, um, is often her advocate in fact correction around her. So, um, you know, we may hear something on the news 
about a certain man having scored the most goals in soccer in the, in a person's lifetime. And she will redirect the conversation back to her wife, Abby Wambach, because really Abby is probably the most scored and least celebrated um, athlete. <laughs> if, if we, if we um, you know, put it against the comparison that we have for men's athletics. So in any case, um, Abby retired in 2015. Um, she met Glennon. She got sober. Uh, Glennon has been on a sober journey for a long time that's documented in her book, Love Warrior. But I think a very significant point in Abby's life was her um, commencement address to Barnard College. And she realized at that point that she had a tremendous responsibility, um, not only to herself in getting her life together and creating a career outside of professional soccer, um, but also to the women that she had the ability to influence, because she realized at that point in time that there were women who were listening to her. Um, and I think that that's a, a pivotal point in anyone's life, women or, you know, anyone aside. When you realize that, you know, you have a rapt audience and they're listening to you and waiting to hear your wisdom and guidance, the way that you think mm -hmm. about yourself and the message that you, um, that you relay changes. Right, exactly. And you can either go one of several directions, one of them being extremely narcissistic. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, and the way she went, which is not that. Which is the opposite of that, right. So what Abby did was she put her energy into writing a beautiful book um, that I would recommend to any woman out there or any person out there smart enough to read the book. Um, and that is how we reinvent ourselves um, and do it in such a way that we actually have the ability to impact the environment around us. And today I was thinking about that in the context of women in leadership, um, because when we do decide that we're going to approach something differently with strength, and to Abby's point in this Wolfpack book, with a collectivism of other women at our sides, we have the ability to very significantly impact uh, not only our work, but the world around us. Um, I, love, I, I love one of the things that she wrote in the book, um, which I haven't read it since I hadn't heard of it. Now I'm going to. I just ordered it for my audiobook so when I take my hike through the uh, state park down the road for me I can listen to it but one of the statements was we have never been little red riding hood we are the wolves we must wander off the path and blaze a new one together mm -hmm. that's right so it's asking us to kind of leave our traditional constructs and reintroduce ourselves into our own ecosystem. So it harkens to the reintroduction of the wolf species in Yellowstone. And mm -hmm. in one of the points in the book, um, she sums it up in short and she says, the plant ecosystem regenerated, the animal ecosystem regenerated, the entire landscape changed all because of the wolves presence. So it was the wolves who were feared by many to be a threat to the system actually became the system's salvation. So right. if you think about marginalized people um, and how the world tends to treat them until we decide they're okay, right? Um, we probably treat them that way out of a certain set of fears that we have, differences, 
um, you not like me, etc. You know, that still mm-hmm. exists today in many, many ways. You know, we may celebrate the notion of gay marriage, but really, is that not an outrage that they weren't always allowed to be married before? <laughs> you know, right. Right. Um, <laughs> so as we reintroduce ourselves, this book, Wolfpack, is asking us to um, link elbows with the women who are at our sides because collectively we can make a difference. I, I think that, um, you know, a lot of the ways women have been kind of regarded in society or treated in society is out of fear. You know, what if we say that or what if we, you know, do oh, something absolutely. that we shouldn't do, right? So what would happen if, um, similar to the Me Too movement, we didn't care about what that resistance looked like and we gathered ourselves together and did move as a wolf pack? You know, what would happen? <laughs> this just this, this just came to me. I was speaking with someone and I'm not saying he meant anything by it, but it, it just kind of hit me because I was a little bit uncomfortable with uh, what was said. It, it was a male, very, very, very intelligent man. And like I said, I don't know that he meant anything by it, but it could be taken this way. He was talking about um, Camilla Harris and some of the other um, female leaders that have come out politically and talking about the pitch of their voice um, and that causing people to think certain things about this woman. And I, I could go there with maybe some of the things they say, but the minute that somebody talks about, especially a male, especially a white male, talks about the pitch of a woman's voice, I think about the, you know, the case that went up about our, you know, we, we talked about it on, on the show about, um, and I'm not going to say the person's name, the woman that went up against the Supreme Court. Oh, yeah, um, Miss Ford. So Miss Ford's voice getting very high pitched and we talked about it on a show where you know she was going back to that place of trauma where something happened to her so of course her voice was pitched at a certain level but she was there was so much don't listen to women depending on what the tone of their voice is and I think are you kidding me are we still having that conversation like what what are you even talking about and I said I don't think you should lead with that (laughs) Mm-hmm. Your talk <laughs> because yeah, women now are not going to hear that in a good way even if you don't mean anything by it they're not going to hear that from you in a good way right right and um you know i i do get concerned um when i think about how i modulate my own voice in meetings, you know, there are things that I'm passionate about in my work, but I know that if I present it in a certain way in a meeting, you know, in a certain tone of voice or with a certain intonation, it's not going to come across as effectively as if somehow I'm able to modulate myself. Why? (laughs) Why? You know, why does the message take on a different meaning just you know, based on your tone of voice or the way that you deliver it. And, you know, I think that's part of the unwrapping here. You know, when is it going to be okay for women to show up and express themselves as passionate or whoever they are, exactly, or as emotional as we, as we are, you know, because all of that is, is really okay. 
Um, and, and furthermore, why are we having to convince somebody else that it's okay? You know, there's a, right. another quote in this book that I just love. And that is um, regarding grass, glass ceilings. I'm mostly bolstered by folks who create their own ceilings. I'm less interested in banging down the door of some man who doesn't want me in there. I'm more concerned about building my own house. Yeah. So, you know, it's authenticity. It's, it's not using somebody else as a yardstick to measure our effectiveness. It's using ourselves as that I yardstick so, and the voices I of those so who get we that. value. Yeah. Yeah, I so get that. I mean, uh, not having a formal education for, you know, various reasons that I've talked about on the show, um, I certainly carried some shame around that that wasn't mine. It was my mother's shame around education and her, I mean, someone could be a complete sociopath, but boy, if they have their master's degree in something, they're, they must be a great citizen. <laughs> and I know that, that's, that this is completely not true. But I like the fact that, you know what, I just did what I wanted to do anyway. I still ended up working with Ross Perot and, you know, CEOs and titans of industry, and they never asked, where did you go to college? And when I told them on a rare occasion that somebody would ask, they'd go, oh, wow, that's why you're so smart. (laughs) I don't necessarily Mm -hmm. agree with that. But I mean, it was taken a, it just was a blip. It wasn't even part of the conversation like you and this isn't about education. I just mean you can carve your own path even if you don't go in more traditional ways. And if you go in more traditional ways like school or whatever, you can still carve some off the beaten path to make yourself, you know, unique to do something that's never been done to not knock on, you know, try to shatter the glass ceiling to a building where the men don't want you in there anyway. You know what I mean? Right. Right. Yeah. Totally about, um, you know, building your own path as opposed to taking, taking the path that's already there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, if we, if we just step back a bit, I'm encouraged by the fact that I'm kind of seeing this thing over and over again. And this, this thing um, I'm referring to is this call to um, not only be yourself, but the call to collectivism and the realization that it's okay to like other women and to get along with other women and furthermore to support and lift other women up. Um, But again, part of that is allowing us to be ourselves, you know, using that different tone of voice in a meeting or, um, (laughs) or even, you know, not looking twice at the way somebody decided to dress when they came to work, you know? Exactly. Um, I think about, um, you know, another section of this book where um, she was talking about even the cafeteria in a high school where boys are there just absolutely chowing down their lunch and, you know, enjoying their food, getting ready physically and mentally for the afternoon with nourishment, um, where girls have been um, traditionally forced to the point where, you know, we don't eat. We're, we're embarrassed mm-hmm. to eat in front of people. So we're not going to be as prepared physically um, and Mm. from a nourishment standpoint to meet that afternoon as our boys who felt no self-consciousness as they clean their plates, you know? Um, So I, I, you know, I don't want to get into a big, um, you know, downward spiral here that says that we've been so victimized. 
I think the point is that the collectivism that's occurring right now is so encouraging and the kind of support that women and girls are, um, are receiving now, and I believe it's just scratching the surface, but it's a different kind of support. It's, we are, we are okay. You know, we can dress ourselves. We can feel uh, on the outside the same way we do on the inside and we don't have to create a difference there. Um, and we can choose to be either uncomfortable or comfortable all by ourselves. You know, we don't need that, that influence from, um, from someone else that makes that choice for us. Very true. How are you seeing, and I, I know I experienced that, but, but I do something a little different. So you're, I'm not in the corporate world anymore. I deal with it, but I'm, I'm not working in it every day. So how are you seeing that since you are in it and you're in an extremely male-dominated industry? In what ways are you seeing this happen? Um, I'm seeing decisions being made in different ways. Um, and I think most importantly is, um, and this is, this is subtle where, where I work because there's not a whole lot of, you know, overt animosity toward any woman's presence there. In fact, I think that despite the fact that there are few women there, it's still a very inclusive environment. And I would be surprised if there were ever any harassment issues or disrespect issues raised there. Now, there is something that says, you know, how we act or how we behave in certain environments probably has changed, you know, particularly with introduction of millennials. Millennial women are strong, you know. (laughs) They know that they don't bring anything less to the table uh, than the man sitting beside them. And I appreciate Mm. that. It's kind of um, a certain amount of inherent entitlement that, I wasn't learned or I wasn't taught was okay, you know. Interesting. Do you, do you bristle ever at that inherent entitlement? Um, I don't. I I do when it comes to, uh, and I'm just going to express my opinion. So I apologize to anybody I might offend in this. Um, I do believe that we're at work to work, <laughs> and mm-hmm. so. Um, you know, I know that there's value in having um, meditation rooms and ping pong tables. And we certainly do have services that come into our organization and do massage and guided meditation and whatnot to help people really be the best that they possibly are at work. Um, But I think that in some cases, that ask can go a bit too far. I think that in my company, we're accommodating, but we don't, we don't necessarily, you know, cave to every whim. And frankly, mm-hmm. I don't think someone who needed to be catered to would do very well in my environment anyway. Um, <laughs> so I, I, I think that they're probably asking for the right things. Um, you know, similar to Me Too and um, other movements that have required that we open our mouths and speak the truth. I appreciate the candor that I see in the women who are coming up in the organization now, they're not afraid. You know, they're not afraid to ask for things. They're not afraid to point out when they see something wrong. Um, And they believe that they're there to contribute just as much as anyone sitting beside them. And they're going to make sure that their voices are heard. And I really do Mm -hmm. admire that because that's not something that uh, I had as a base skill set 
when I graduated from college. You know, that was not there. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, we've had to fight. Sometimes I have felt myself really bristle at, at that um, with a young woman or a young man even. Um, and I've had to take a, a back, you know, take myself back a bit and go, okay, they're, they don't know what they haven't experienced. Good for them that they haven't had to go through the, those things. And a couple that were really um, unforgiving of anyone else's experience, we worked it out. I, you know, they were very uh, judgmental of where I was coming from. And I was judgmental mm-hmm. where they were coming from too. But we talked about it and we came to a really good understanding. Um, and it was funny because one of them really fought me on things and uh, we agreed to disagree and let it go. And then, I don't know, two years later, she ended up calling me and had a horrible experience. It was like what I had told her I had been through Mm -hmm. years ago and was crying and saying, I'm so sorry I didn't listen to you. I'm going through the same thing. I can't believe it. I feel so ashamed. And I was like, listen, I will hear everything you have to say. And you are so strong. I am not going to listen to you shame yourself. It's not mm-hmm. going to happen. And and she's a very good friend now today because of that. But I really had a problem with that, um, with where she was coming from. And she really had a problem with where I was coming from. The difference I see what you're talking about with this collectivism today is I don't think now I would go there um, and I don't think who I've been around would or who I am around would go to those uncomfortable places as deeply because I, when this happened for me, it was before me too. It was before a lot of, you know, sisters in it together. It was still, you need to fight your sisters because there's only limited room at the top. Right. Right. Um, You know, (laughs) in, in the whole fighting our sisters thing too, something that both Susie Orman and her Women and Money podcast and Abby Wambach in this um, Wolfpack book talk about is not ignoring your own needs. And, you know, I don't think I would ever get upset or disagree with another woman standing up for herself in representing her own needs. Oh, no, so, not at all. Yeah, but I, I think that when entitlement goes to a different place, you know, that, that's different. I think that starts to smack of, I think that there's a difference between representing your needs, which are important, and just representing something that you're demanding, which, which may be right. um, selfish or, a, you know, a surfacing entitlement. But even in um, leadership and in moving forward in strength, to deny what we have um, inside as a true need or to deny, you know, the sister sitting to our side, um, deny her her true needs really does ourselves, gosh, I'm not forming my words very well, but we really do ourselves a collective disservice when we discount those needs. And again, I think that that's what Me Too is about, kind of at at the um, the very root of the movement. And that is, Um, bringing a need to surface, you know, bringing a need to be respected, to be safe, to be, um, you know, not marginalized or victimized, 
as we move around in our lives. Um, those are real. You know, those are real needs. Yeah. And if we deny ourselves of those, those needs, really we're denying ourselves of ourselves. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think something to add to that is giving yourself permission to even recognize that you have needs. Yes. <laughs> because mm-hmm. I've, you know, I know I have and many women my age and older than I am. I mean, we got so used to stuffing our needs down in order to accommodate and be heard at all. But it's a journey to even get to a place where you go, oh, that thing mm-hmm. in my stomach or that flash of insight that I had later after a meeting or whatever is going on. That was one of my needs trying to pop out. Got mm-hmm. it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, that is truly what I admire in, um, you know, some of these millennial women that I've met. And that is the, the lack of fear around presenting a need. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I think that they're being brought up with much more of a sense of self and the ability to represent themselves than, than we ever were. You know, think about a journey with a narcissistic mother. You don't have needs in that scenario no. at all. Right. Right. Um, You know, back to um, Susie Orman, just real quick as well. Um, I I find her to be a great women's advocate. I know that her personality turns some people off, um, but she doesn't turn me off because she um, is a strong voice and she is all about empowering women. So even if you listen to the theme song of her podcast, it it um is not only catchy, but it's it's very empowering if you listen to the words. But her um podcast, Women and Money, um, drives a sense of accountability and responsibility into our financial lives. And her whole um thrust behind the podcast and the information that she relays is empowering and it is focused on um you know your needs or my needs as a woman and the way that we address those needs specifically and it's so interesting to me that it's presented from a very singular and um you know kind of self-focused way but it's not selfish at all <laughs> it, it's just focused on how we empower ourselves to meet our own needs. Um, So even if you are the best person with money in the whole world, the message behind what she's saying in her podcast, uh, I think is very significant for women. Mm. She's someone I can listen to for a bit and then, um, and then I have to turn it off. (laughs) Yes. Uh Yeah. She has that effect on some people. Yep. It isn't so much uh, about her scaring me with what she says. I It scares me how she delivers it or doesn't scare me. It, it just turns me off. But, you know, other people that I really like, um, other people say, I couldn't listen to that person for 10 minutes. So to each their own. <laughs> yeah. And for me, I think it's more about the message around building a community of um, smart women, you know, women who know how to identify needs within themselves and and take care of them so i right yeah i appreciate that yep i do too absolutely um how would you 
look at something like this, like let's, you know, look at Susie Orman and look at Abby Wambach and say, I mean, we're talking about two different age groups here, Mm -hmm. or let's go with Abby because she's, she's a little bit um, younger. What have you, I mean, this book just came out. So, and she's got, you know, backing from or support from Brene Brown and, you know, other people that are certainly older than she is. Mm-hmm. How are you seeing that the reaction to the book be? Are people, are some women that are older bristling to it or is it sort of universal acceptance? What have you kind of seen the reaction to it and uh, depending on the age of the of the woman reading it? That's an interesting question. Um, yeah, there's a um, there there's a book um, and the author I can't remember. I'm gonna have to Google it really quickly. But it's called the um, the Silent Generation. Um, uh, and it is about um, the folks who are. Um, well, who had birth dates between the 20s and the mid 40s, um, mm-hmm. primarily referring to those in Germany who fell into this age bracket, who lived through the Second World War and the atrocities, um, and yet they cannot talk about it today. So even folks from that generation who did not go through the level of trauma that was manifested by you know, the Nazis and the Holocaust and whatnot, um, I find still have a difficulty processing their own emotions. And um, if my mom listens to this, I'm sorry, mom. Um, but my mom is is from that generation. And she has a very difficult time um, probably even thinking about her emotions, um, hmm. talking about them, talking about difficult subjects that are emotional. And I think one of the big differences now is that it's okay to talk about those things. Um, Whereas the silent generation not only didn't talk about emotions, I I think that inherently they just couldn't, you know, they couldn't, they didn't have the skills. They didn't have the ability to process things emotionally. And so I think the big difference now and the the younger women that I meet now is that ability to acknowledge and process emotions. So right. I think that the way that you would um, react to this book really depends on where you fall within that ability to recognize um, kind of the truth within yourself. If you mm. were someone from the silent generation who is still stuck um, in that inability to process feelings and talk about, um, you know, how those feelings may have impacted your life, then I think that you would look at this book as um, being written by an alien, and it applies <laughs> to, you know, s- some society on Mars that has nothing to do with the reality that you've faced as a woman over the course of your life. (laughs) So I think it's much more relatable from, um, you know, from a modern standpoint, for sure. Gotcha. Um, But it really does call for 
the recognition of oneself and the the embracing of your own authenticity because it's saying that you can't be the wolf without it. <laughs> if, if you deny yourself right. of who you inherently are, there's no way you're going to be the wolf that you were born to be. This makes me think of something that just happened recently, which was very empowering for me. Um, I had an unfortunate situation with someone very narcissistic as we all everybody has had um if someone says they haven't then they'd be lying or they're narcissists themselves and it was the women that came together that informed me about this is what this person is doing with me i not in a shaming way not in a what are you doing It, it was really interesting to me the men that i that also had dealt with this person were a a bit shaming. Why would you get involved with them? Why didn't you see that? This is what they did. And it was, but it was the women. It was almost, I've had that happen the reverse before. It was the women and very strong women coming to me going, this behavior is what they're doing with me. I thought you should know about it. So I was able to, because you know how, you know, they are playing to you. Mm -hmm. And if they, isolate you you're only seeing what they want you to see and maybe you can get some context behind it from their behavior but once you bring in your wolf pack which for me was some women going okay this is what's going on here and we were able to sit and map out oh that's how this one works and Mm -hmm. all of us collectively and very kindly rid that person from our experience and still have mm-hmm. each other's back as that person still tries to infect, triangulate, do whatever they're going to do. And I thought, oh, this is so cool. They were not able to break us. It just mm-hmm. made us stronger. And I mm-hmm. think that is new as of today, because even five years ago, I don't know that that would have happened. Somebody no. would have broken the chain. Mm-hmm. Or, or, you know, four people would have watched while one person was victimized, you know. Exactly. Not, exactly. not in a malicious way. It was just, you know, what was, what was called for at the time. And I, I exactly. think that's the, that's the great thing about being able to, you know, learn and, and move forward. So although we may have been raised by people who could not process emotions, we had to learn it, right? Because yep. we were... Yep treated a certain way as kids and we had to learn why in the world we'd manifested these emotional issues. So (laughs) I I applaud the women today who, you know, were born with a sense of self, you know, that they can. I do too. um, I I just think it's amazing. There are young women on this network and, and they, some other women, uh, not on the network, but have not gotten along with them. And I can see where they've bristled against each other, but I'm always in the middle of, I see both sides here, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to not be able be in a relationship with either one of you. And they're not asking me to do that now. It's okay. You're going to be friends with that person. That's fine. I disagree. There isn't a, you must choose me over her. And that again used to happen, you know, five years mm-hmm. ago. Choose this over that. Even I did those things. Choose it's me or her. I would never do that now. Ton of work, therapy, 
the game has changed, thank God, you know, later. But, um, you know, it's, it's, I love these strong young women that, you know, do come in and say, that is just bullshit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> it is. Thank you for immediately being upset about it. Right. And, and calling it out and calling it what it is, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think, Kristen, that within our generation, those acknowledgments were there, particularly with um, those of us who have a more empathic sort of tendency. But right. somehow it was squelched before it became a voice, you know? Absolutely. Um, and you and I were um, just sharing a couple texts regarding um, Kim Saeed this morning. And um, who, who listeners, you all know well, Kim Saeed, she's sitting in my living room right now as we do the show. Say hi, Kim. <laughs> yeah, one of the one of the wise women of the world. That um, That's right. One of the wise women of the world. Yeah, the word grateful has a voice. Um, yep. So the, the Instagram post today was um, from Kim was. Um, is it possible that someone can suddenly become a narcissist after you've been in a relationship with them for years? No. <laughs> Narcissism develops in childhood and can be easily right. detected and diagnosed in early adulthood. You didn't realize the truth about them until now. Okay. Good point. So if we can somehow, um, you know, realize with instantaneous clarity what's been hurting us, we should yeah. be able to realize with instantaneous clarity what we already have inside of us. <laughs> right. And instead of what I see a, a lessening of, thank goodness, is the victim blaming stuff. And mm-hmm. Abby, <laughs> I doubt, goes into that in her book because it doesn't even seem like it would be relevant. And that's probably not part of her experience, but it certainly is part of mine. I've done it. I've been a part of that. But what I see moving forward is there isn't that. Um, We had a podcaster come on who someone went out of their way when they found out that this person was going to be on the network and went out of their way to reach out to me and trash them because of some issue that they had with this person in high school. And what I do in those kind of situations is I include the other person, because I'm not going to sit and triangulate. Uh-uh. Really? You have this issue? Well, let's all come to the table and talk about it. Not to, I'm not being mean. I'm not trying to call you out, but I'm saying you're giving me one version of something. I really, and, and you took all the time to reach out to someone you don't know to try to trash another person that I think is wonderful. So let's, let's all come together and have a healing here. <laughs> and sometimes people will show up and there is a healing rarely okay Mm -hmm. this time no there wasn't there was an immediate retreat Uh, I'm not going to get involved in that you're being this that and the other and I went well you had you were given an opportunity with with a loving place to serve up the healing and the other person you were trashing was willing to show up too so that's on you sister but I see that less because of women going I'm going to stick together on this one Mhm. Yep, and speaking our truth collectively. <laughs> mm-hmm. Which gosh, it feels you know, I mean you know. How many times have we walked into a meeting, 
a family situation, a other kind of a work situation, and everyone has complained to us about how awful a situation or a person is being, and they're just, and we walk in as the one to be the voice to say, this is not right, blah, blah, blah. And then you turn around and go, right, sisters? And you're like, where'd they go? What what yeah. happened? <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> like, I'm being skewered. And then the further skewering of you later and siding with the one that they were complaining about before. I've had that happen many times. I can't even fathom that happening today. No. With the women in my no. life. It just wouldn't happen. No. You know, I was just thinking that too. I, I can see that happening maybe 15 years ago, but there's yeah. no, there's no way it would happen today. And, you know, part of that is our choices, right? We choose to right. surround ourselves, um, you know, not with yes people, cause that's unhealthy, but no. with people who will challenge us and hold us accountable and know the difference between when we're being authentic and when we're not. And I, I appreciate that. You know, I look at the people that um, I surround myself with both in, you know, my personal and my professional life, men or women, it doesn't matter. Right. Right. Um, And the, I love the accountability. I love the, the people um, in my life now, because they're not those that are going to, um, you know, they're going to point out things that are wrong when they're wrong and I need to fix them when I can't see it myself. And I, and I think that that's part of being a wolf pack, you know, it's totally. It's, and totally. Yeah. It's people who I, can I, I, um, drive you to that level of authenticity, good or bad. Exactly. And I love the fierce yet loving way that I will be pushed to remain authentic about something where I will be uh, temporarily mistaken about a situation because I'm at DEFCON 1 in it for good reason, let's say, sometimes maybe not good reason, but let's say, you know, DEFCON 1 in the situation, I can't see anything but red because I'm so emotionally invested and, and to have other women and men around me that, and I don't want to say it like, and men, as if they don't count, women and men, <laughs> to say it in an empowering way that will go, Kristen, um, we're totally here with you. We totally have your back. I mean, I just had this happen. The amount of people that came rushing in to have my back and lovingly said, the thing that you're fighting to get isn't worth getting because you were exhausted. You were being pushed by this other person to do something that it was so insensitive how they were pushing you and your modus operandi is you felt responsible for the whole situation. So you're going to make it work. You're going to make lemonade out of lemons. And the reality yeah. is, this is what the group collectively was telling me. The reality was it wasn't going to be you in a, in a best light because you were exhausted. So let's mm-hmm. call it a rehearsal and do it again without dealing with this toxic organization. And it helped me because they were so loving. They were not victim blaming. They were not being judgmental towards me. It helped me let go of the fight because I thought I was fighting for something for them Mm -hmm. and go, okay, you're right. Okay. Awesome. I can let go of that and move on to something else. 
there's a dynamic that changes when people have your back in a loving way. You can Mm -hmm. put down the sword. You can put down the shield. I think in the past, we had to be so scrappy, so warriors up, so whatever, because we were so used to swinging, you know, getting the arrows swung at us all the time. And there were crickets behind us when there used to be a roar that you just get used to carrying on that way. And this Mm -hmm. new way of being where you've got, you turn around and they're all right there. They're not even behind you. They're standing next to you or sometimes yeah. even in front of you. It's, I, it's so refreshing. It's so empowering. Yes, it is. And, you know, I kind of have this vision of, um, you know, out in front with a sword, fighting the battle and turning around and having this line of women going, yeah, okay, go ahead. <laughs> You're going. <laughs> <You're dope. laughs> go for it. <laughs> Exactly. Or they're all, they they ran off the field a long time ago, hiding in the trees. Like, what? I'm the only yeah. one out here on the field. Yeah. <laughs> and we don't have to do that anymore. And that is, thank goodness, that is, you know, what the Me Too movement um, did for us because all those women came out and stood together and put their careers at risk. And, you know, who cares whether it was Hollywood that did it doesn't matter. The fact was it was done and it was mm-hmm. a bunch of women who, oh, that woman said something. Well, I'm going to say something, too, in support of that. And oh, I'm going to say something, too. And, you know, would we have listened if it was a bunch of people in the manufacturing industry the way that we listened to it, that it was Hollywood stars? Probably not. And that's a sad other show about society that we put so much on celebrity. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, that, that's a great that's a great point. But you know, if you think about it, maybe it did come out in the right place, right? We're used yeah. to having all eyes on entertainment and we're used yep. to taking cues, you know, what we should eat and the way we dress from entertainment. So if they're the first ones to be honest, you know, maybe that's the front wave that we needed. Because it goes beyond that superficiality that we assumed that society was all about. Now we're seeing some of the detail behind and the honesty and the authenticity and the vulnerability of the women who have been in that environment. And it creates, I think, a a greater platform um, for us to be honest. Because they, who were just on the screen before have brought us into the world that actually exists behind that screen. I think that's exactly um, that's the good part. That's a great, I love that you just said that because it, it, it helped further the dropping of the Oz curtain. You know, we don't know if everything's behind a curtain. We don't know that's movies, that's TV, that's whatever they're special. No, they work hard. There's a lot of, BS more than we even realize that goes on and now we just you know dropped the veil even even more in fact just dropped it all the way to the ground it's the veil's gone yeah. now yeah yeah amazing yeah <laughs> pretty amazing stuff my friend <laughs> yep. collectivism find your wolf pack <laughs> read the book exactly uh, read the book uh, everybody it's on Amazon it's uh, I just ordered it like I said for my Kindle I'm gonna do my walks in the morning and listen to it. Abby Wambach, it looks like a very good book. And just even the few sentences I've read, I'm already like, this is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of lessons, I think. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Catherine, for coming on for another uh, Women Who Lead episode. 
And thank you, Kristen. I appreciate it so much. And listeners, tune in to us doing this again, hopefully soon. And thank you for tuning in to another episode of Mental Health News Radio. I know, I know, no one likes commercials, but seriously, folks, without the help from these organizations, we could not stay on the air. Please give a shout out to zencharts.com. If you're a mental health or addiction treatment center, you'll want to use their EHR. It's gorgeous. And they're just good people. And also MyGenetics, M-Y-G-E-N-E-T-X.com, because knowing your genetic code empowers your mental health treatment. And lastly, CopeNotes.com. We love getting positive messages right to our phones every day from Johnny Crowder. He's the lead singer of Prison, a heavy metal band sharing their music about suicide prevention, addiction recovery, and mental health. See, that was painless. Support them as they support us. Back to the show. Sometimes I'm passive aggressive, but never without good intentions. I heat up and act on my emotions. Thanks so much for listening to Mental Health News Radio. Our podcast can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and hundreds of other podcast apps. Or you can visit our website at mentalhealthnewsradio.com. If you have a question or would like to be a guest, become a podcaster on our network, or join the amazing organizations that help keep us on the air, please email us at info at mhnrnetwork.com. Get ready for that special goodbye from our resident therapy dog, Miles, and a special thanks to Emily Sohn for letting us use her incredible song, Cordial, for our podcast music. Listen to the full song on SoundCloud at emily.sonne. Don't be surprised when I don't hate on you. After all, we promised we'd be cordial. Sometimes in you, I can fight it. Good boy.